Today on Blue 58, strong offensive line play has been a hallmark of the Matt LaFleur era in Green Bay, and it doesn't look like things are going to be much different this year. But sorting out the best five offensive linemen could be a challenge. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. Big NFL news day today. The Packers among the headlines signing... Alex Magoo of the Birmingham Stallions, a journeyman NFL quarterback. So if you are looking for a veteran to add to the Packers quarterback room, well, technically you got one. He was a 2018 seventh round pick of the Seattle Seahawks, who spent time with the Jaguars, Texans, the Seahawks again, and over the last couple of years, the Birmingham Stallions of the USFL and was pretty successful there last season, the MVP of the entire league for whatever that's worth to you. Six foot three, 218 pounds, and gives the Packers, at the very least, another fairly athletic-looking camp arm. What does this mean for the room as a whole? I don't really know. We're going to have to see where he fits in play-wise. I would think, just guessing how his NFL career has gone, while well, his professional football career has gone to this point, I would slot him in ahead of Danny Etling right now. He's probably skill-wise ahead of Sean Clifford, how Clifford's draft status plays into where he ends up on the depth chart is probably going to be the real question. Do the Packers want to keep their fifth-round pick on the roster, or do they want to keep the guy who's probably further along in his career development? That's a question for the, the roster deciders to, well, decide here in about a month from now, late August. We'll see how this shakes out uh, over the next few weeks. But They've added another quarterback, and I feel good being right, I guess, about that prediction. Didn't look like they were going to make any moves there for a while, but they do indeed add a fourth quarterback, Magoo. And his name is pronounced Magoo, though it's spelled M-C-G-O-U-G-H. Take that pronunciation for whatever it's worth. We have a Mr. Magoo. Yeah, I had to go ahead and make the really obvious joke. Other NFL headlines today, two new uniforms. The Cleveland Browns and Minnesota Vikings both unveil new, well, kind of air quotes, new alternate uniforms. Both of them throwbacks. Cleveland Browns bringing out a white helmet, which harkens back to their first appearance in the National Football League back in the 50s after they came over from the All-American Football Conference. It's a good-looking uniform. And it's funny that it's actually a throwback in a way because it has the drop shadow numbers, which look very 90s. It's kind of funny that that's a... 70-something-year-old design. The Vikings, meanwhile, go back to their 1970s and 80s edition uniforms, the Fran Tarkenton era stuff. As much as I dislike the overall Vikings, you know, color scheme and everything, it's a pretty sharp-looking uniform. And if they went with this full-time and we could just get the lines figured out, the NFC North would probably have the best overall, I think, aesthetic in the NFL. But that's just one guy's opinion. We're not here to talk about uniforms, though as much as I could go on uniforms for the probably the entire duration of this podcast. Maybe we'll do that someday. We are here, however, to talk about the offensive line, and there are a bunch of offensive linemen to talk about, 16 of them, unless I have miscounted. And looking at the offensive line as a whole, I think you got something for everybody here. You've got your veterans. You've got your young up-and-comers. You've got some project players, maybe even one reclamation project in there, depending on how you score Sean Ryan's career to this point and some intriguing undrafted free agents. Something for everybody. 
But is there something that is going to appeal to Matt LaFleur and perhaps more importantly, Adam Stenovich? That is the real question. And I think the answer is obviously yes. They had a big part in putting this offensive line together. But how they put it together and where they put certain guys is going to be the big question. And I think as we do expectations for guys, especially toward the middle portion of this position group, the moderate expectations group, it's going to come down to what the coaches do with them. A lot of offensive line success, weirdly, is kind of out of the player's control. It's about where you end up and what the coaches decide to do with you. And what the coaches decide to do with a few of these guys is going to go a long way toward shaping our perception of what they do this year. For instance, let's just spoil one slightly. Jake Hansen. He is entering his fourth year in the NFL, a sixth round pick in 2020. And you you don't remember this because your brain is not permanently broken and thinking about scouting reports. But do you remember the big selling point on Jake Hansen when he was drafted by the Packers in 2020? It's that he had played more than 3,000 snaps at center in college. He was, a, if not a great, a very good college football player, a very reliable college football player, and he did it lining up game after game after game after game at center. How many snaps has he played at center in the NFL? Four. Four in 11 games over two seasons. The Packers have made a conscious choice with Jake Hansen, despite him being a center in college, despite him being reliable enough to play in a power fight conference for thousands and thousands of snaps, that they don't want him playing center. Now, maybe he can project a guard. Maybe he has untapped potential playing that position. But it's not what he did, and it's not what he was known for in college. The Packers have made a conscious decision to not do what he was best at, and it's put him in a tough spot a couple of times. We'll talk more about Hanson, but the overall point here is that the coaches are going to have a big part in how this offensive line plays out. And that's been, I guess, a fairly consistent gripe at times with the Packers and their offensive line. Looking back to the 2021 season, what was the big season-ending question there? Why did Billy Turner play left tackle in the 2021 divisional round game against the 49ers? Why did they go with Turner coming off an injury at a position he hadn't played in a year instead of going with Yash Nyman? We never got a satisfactory answer to that question. We never really got a full explanation for it, other than that's what they thought they had to do at the time. But the Packers have made some misses on putting guys in in positions where they could or could not succeed. As good as the offensive line has been on the whole, I think there have been times where the Packers have overthought things or maybe underthought things, and there have been negative consequences as a result. And unfortunately for some of the guys that we're going to talk about today, it's going to have career-shaping consequences. Before we dive into the individual players, though, I want to give a shout-out to Patreon supporters, Scon Commenter, Taylor Shaw, and Turner King. Thank you guys for supporting us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Would encourage you to do that as well. That helps us continue to make this show and make it as good as we possibly can make it. It costs money to do this. I don't like to talk about money, but you know what I like even less is ads for companies that I don't care about and products that I don't want to work with. You supporting us this way helps us keep making the show and doing it in a way where 
it's entirely supported by you. We don't have to turn to companies that you know sell stuff that we don't care about or believe in. It's all you. And I appreciate that, and I appreciate the freedom that comes with it thanks to our general, or generous and faithful Patreon supporters. So if you'd like to join their ranks and get some nice stuff in return, membership to our Discord community, some bonus content. We've got another piece on what it would take to own an NFL team coming up here this week. Head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep, pick whatever dollar amount you like, and go from there. I would really appreciate it. Offensive line. It's going to shake out the same way that all of our other positional previews have so far. We're going low expectations to high expectations, starting with guys for whom we have no expectations at all. And three guys fall into that camp this year. Undrafted free agents DJ Scaife, Chuck Filiaga, and Gene DeLance. All 2023 undrafted free agents. No real expectations for anyone from anyone in this tier this year. Offensive line seems fairly competitive as a position group and also fairly top-heavy this year. Normally, I would say DeLance has the best shot at the practice squad as a tackle, but I'm going to say that he won't make it. Of these three, I would say Filiaga is my best guess as to who ends up on the practice squad. Don't feel super confident, but if I had to guess, if I had to make a prediction, I would say he makes it out of this three. I'd say nobody ultimately of this three makes a big impact for the Packers. That's mostly because there's one other undrafted free agent. The only member of the low expectations tier for me this year, Kadeem Telfort, comes in as a 2023 undrafted free agent. If you recall, he was one of the guys I was actually semi-interested in this spring out of the crop of undrafted free agent guys the Packers had. He was Dane Brugler's number 23 offensive tackle in this year's Beast Six foot seven, three hundred twenty-two pounds, so he fits the Packers' general direction towards some bigger offensive linemen, especially on the tackles. Packers do love them some big tackles. We'll talk about a few more of them in the next tier here. He has some interesting career background. I think generally we would say he's pretty strong pedigree as an offensive lineman. He just has to stick around in some form to really meet expectations this year. Maybe on the practice squad, maybe sneaking onto the fifty-three at some point. Just stick around, have a developmental year, then put the size to work in 2024 and beyond. I think he does end up on the practice squad. I think the Packers like their big-bodied offensive linemen. They'll probably keep a couple other ones around too. He seems like another in that general tendency, and I think he ends up in the practice squad as a result. Heading to our moderate tier, we turn again to Jake Hansen. And again, entering his fourth year here as a sixth-round pick, from 2020. He's appeared in 11 games over two seasons, and I think I put him in the moderate tier, kind of as we were alluding to earlier, less because of what he is as a player and more because of what the Packers seem to think he is as a player. He has had opportunity after opportunity within reason. He started one game last year. He's appeared in 10 other games. It's not like when I say opportunity after after opportunity, I'm not They're not giving him the the keys to Lambeau Field. He has stuck around on the roster. He has stuck around on the practice squad, and he hasn't ever really shown that much. And as we said earlier, it's kind of weird to me that the Packers seem really married to the idea that he is a guard. He has taken a grand total of four snaps at center in games across two seasons. Now, granted, the other options there have been Josh Myers and Elton Jenkins, both of whom are better center options than Hanson is. But I think the point still stands. 
In the 2021 preseason, the Packers had him playing exclusively at center. 2022 was about a 50-50 split between guard and center. And then when it's come to games, it's been almost exclusively center. He had one start at guard in 2022. Didn't go particularly well. But in any case, the Packers do seem to really like him internally, which I think overall has not really aligned with what we've seen on the field. Point of fact, 2022 week one is only career start. He comes out of that game for whatever it's worth to you with a pro football focus pass blocking grade of 14.4. Not great. You could argue the Packers really just punted on week one last year. I think looking back at how they approached that game, their injury list, that might be a reasonable conclusion. But even so, they're starting a guy who very clearly showed that he did not deserve to be one of their best five offensive linemen or top five offensive linemen. It should have been Zach Tom from the get-go. The Packers just didn't want to go that direction. Hanson, for his money, I think to meet expectations this year, just has to make the roster again and then don't look bad when you're out there. I don't think he's going to make the 53 this year, though. I think he's headed to the practice squad, and so far that gives us three. That gives us Filiaga at guard, Telford at tackle, and Hanson a center. Stacking your practice squad that way makes some kind of sense to me. Our next guy in this group is Caleb Jones, coming into year two after a weird rookie year. Kind of came out of nowhere. Well, it came out of Indiana. That's not exactly nowhere, but I think you understand what I'm saying. But ended up on the non-football injury list with Mono after being one of the success stories of the early part of the season. Mono does not sound fun at all. But he is a fun story. Real big guy. Has been working to remake his body and get himself into the shape he needs to be in to be an NFL caliber offensive lineman. More power to him. He seems to be well on his way. He ends up in this tier because of the offensive line competition, really between three guys at tackle. And he's the first entrance between three guys that the Packers seem pretty invested in at the tackle spot. The next guy's are going to be the next two on our list here. So he just has to meet expectations by sticking around, either on the 53 or the practice squad. I think practice squad is probably where he's headed, so that gives us two tackles on the practice squad, which means our next two guys in the giant tackle Olympics have a really good shot at making the 53. The next man up is Rasheed Walker. He, too, is in year two, a 2022 seventh-round pick, almost like an offensive version of Jonathan Ford. Active in one game, played four snaps on special teams, and that's all she wrote for Rasheed Walker as a rookie. He is the second of three guys that I think the Packers are really trying to get something out of at tackle. Another really big-bodied guy of the three, Walker, Jones, and then Luke Tenuta, who we'll talk about next. To use the this term again, I would say he is the most pedigreed, probably the most decorated of the three in college. A longtime starter at Penn State, the highest level of football of the three. He seems, just guessing, the most likely to make a big jump from year one to year two. But then let's talk about Luke Tenuta. Year two with the Packers, he was a sixth-round pick by the Buffalo Bills last spring. I think the Packers probably would have drafted them had they not traded their sixth-round pick. But wait, you say, when did the Packers trade their sixth-round pick for 2022? That was the pick that they moved to get Randall Cowboy back in the summer of 2021. That ended up being pick number 205 in the 2022 NFL draft. Luke Tenuta went number 209. I have to think the Packers might have been in the market for a super big offensive lineman had they had that pick, but it worked out both ways. They got Randall Cobb for Aaron Rodgers and then got Luke Tenuta for Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur. Win-win. 
win? Is there three wins in there? I don't know. Anyway, Tenuta, the third entrant in the tackle Olympics here. Of those three, Tenuta, Walker, and Jones, I think he probably has the inside track in that he actually played on offense some last year. Seven snaps on offense, 18 on special teams. Sure, that's not a lot, but it's more than the other two combined by ways. I think he does make the initial 53, but that doesn't mean that he'll stay. So of the three guys that I think are in the tackle competition, you've got Tenuta, who I think is the head of the pack. Walker also making the 53, and then Jones hanging around on the practice squad. Wouldn't be surprised to see the Packers try to move those guys around a little bit. Jumping back inside, we have to talk about Royce Newman next. He comes in at year three here. Just given how much he's played, you could have told me it was year six, and it's been a bit of an up-and-down journey for Newman in his two years with the Packers. He has been available, not always reliable, but available. And if you look back at how he played, he was coming on late in 2021 when the Packers retooled their offensive line because they got Josh Myers and David Bakhtiari back for a while. But to that point, nobody had played more snaps on the Packers' offense than Royce Newman. Look it up. Played more than 1,000 snaps as a rookie in 2021. It wasn't always pretty, but he was there. He ends up in this tier because I think he's the epitome of what we're, we're talking about when we talk about moderate expectations guys. He's got a role. He's not going to elevate the Packers' offense. Hopefully he's not going to drag it down, but the Packers have just needed him to be a spot guy over the past couple of years. Sometimes those spots have been, turned out to be bigger than others, but they haven't necessarily relied on him, but they've needed him to be there. That's that mid-tier, perfectly embodied by Royce Newman. He seems to have a pretty well-defined job. Is it a good idea to give him that job? Not my place to say. Still seems like there's some room for improvement. The Packers seem to like him, and the guard tackle versatility is intriguing, even if the results haven't always been promising. He's got to make the roster and show improvement to really meet expectations this year. And heading into year three at age 26, it seems like you're heading into kind of the golden zone, the gold zone, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, for that improvement to happen. I think he does make the 53 again this year, but I think he's going to end up with a career low in snaps played on offense. He has dropped down the offensive line hierarchy a little bit. I think Zach Tom does the things that you wanted Royce Newman to do better than Royce Newman does, so he's probably going to get the first crack at the Royce Newman-type jobs here in the immediate future. He had 451 snaps on offense last year. I think those are going to get soaked up by Zach Tom. Speaking of, Zach Tom comes into year two as a mini Elton Jenkins. I don't know what to do with him. I went back and forth on whether he's a moderate tier guy or a high expectations tier guy. And I landed here because I don't know what he is yet. And you know what? I don't think the Packers do either. In some ways, he's kind of the anti-Tariq Carpenter. We talked about Tariq Carpenter switching positions from safety to the linebacker as a kind of sign that the Packers may not be all that high on him anymore. Once you start switching guys' positions around, looking for a job for him, you start thinking, well, maybe he doesn't really have a job at all on this roster. Tom is kind of the opposite of that. The Packers move him around because he can do so many different things. They're not defining his position 
because I think they want other factors to decide. They're not going to stick him at guard and say you're a guard because they want to be able to put him at tackle. They're not going to stick him at tackle and say you're a tackle because they want him to be able to play, I don't know, maybe center at some point. And I think long-term center is still where he probably should be. It just seems to fit his body type the best. But if they could play him at tackle, that is the higher value position, I can see why they would want to exhaust that possibility first. Interesting note about Zach Tom. If you just go by positional designations, he is the only one of his kind on the entire Packers 90-man roster. This doesn't mean anything, but he is the only guy on the entire Packers roster who is listed as having the position that he does. He is not listed as a guard. He is not listed as a center. He is not listed as a tackle. He's not listed as a combination of any one of those things. Not a center guard, not a guard tackle. He is described merely as an offensive lineman. And I think that is a perfect encapsulation of where he is in his career right now. I think he does end up playing quite a bit for the Packers this year. He is going to be, like I said, mini Elton Jenkins. The Packers will use him to fill in wherever they need somebody to fill in. And I think he is going to take snaps at center at some point this year. Maybe not starting a game there. I think if it came down to it and they had to put somebody into that spot, it would probably be Elton Jenkins, but then that would mean that that Tom probably slots in at left guard. If they don't want to move Jenkins off of left guard, maybe Tom gets some reps at center. You never know. But I do think he ends up starting at least a couple of games for the Packers this year. Finally, to our high expectations tier, and the first guy in this group might be a bit of a surprise to you, Sean Ryan. It's weird, right? I said moderate expectations for Tom because we don't know what he is. High expectations for Ryan. Why is that? Well, let's talk through it here. He comes into year two after essentially a lost rookie season. He was active for one game, and he played exactly one snap on special teams, and he had a suspension for performance-enhancing drugs, and then that's all she wrote for Sean Ryan as a rookie. He ends up in the high expectations tier because, well, just think about how you'd normally expect a third-round pick's career to go. Maybe feeling things out a little bit as a rookie, probably have a small role, but by year two, you, think, you would think he'd be ready to really push for some playing time. Look at Tucker Craft this year. You expect probably by late in the year he'll be getting some serious reps. Next year he's going to be one of the Packers' top two tight ends for sure. You might just assume the Packers start two tight ends next year and he's going to be one of them. Look back a few years ago. Ty Montgomery, 2015 third-round pick, had a small role. Hurt his ankle pretty bad, ends up on injured reserve, but 2016 comes back. He's a big part of the Packers' offense. Really expanded his role in year two. Ryan, I think, has all of those expectations, plus he was just a ghost as a rookie. So the expectations are accordingly higher. What do you do to meet them then? I think Sean Ryan needs to make it clear through his performance, that we are not going to sit here and have the conversation about whether or not the Packers are going to cut a third-round pick in year two. Because if he falters early in camp, that is going to be a discussion point. I would have a really hard time seeing that happen, but we did just see it happen last year. Amari Rodgers was the third-round pick who got cut in his second season. If the Packers have to do that two years in a row, we should have a different kind of conversation about Brian Gutekunst, but maybe that's just the curse of the third round. 
My prediction, though, is that Ryan is going to make the 53-man roster. He's not going to play a whole lot, though. I think between 50 and 150 snaps on offense this year. He will end up out there at some point. Maybe, actually, I'm going to amend that. I don't even, I don't think 50 to 150 snaps on offense. I think just total. He's going to get some reps on special teams, but he's not going to end up playing that many snaps on offense. Just total, total package between 50 and 150 snaps for Sean Ryan on, on the 2023 Green Bay Packers. Our top four players, top five players here, uh, start to get into some tough conversations short-term and long-term for the Packers and some big opportunities for these guys. First guy out of the gate here is John Runyon. This is a really important year for Runyon. He has had consistent growth year over year. Now he heads into a contract year as an expected starter on a pretty good offensive line. That is not a bad place to be if you're starting to think about a fairly significant check for some guaranteed money totaling in the millions of dollars about, well, less than a year from now. He ends up in the high expectations tier because he is the default starter at right guard, but he might also be the weak link on the offensive line. Consider, of guards with at least 600 pass blocking snaps, according to Pro Football Focus, Runyon was right smack in the middle of the pack in terms of sacks allowed. Not a ton, but more than the elite performers. But also, according to Pro Football Focus, 49 guards last year had about 300 run blocking snaps or more, 298 or more. So of those 49 who at least hit that number or more, Runyon had a run blocking grade of 53.8, with which ranked 35th out of those 49 guards. He is a middle-of-the-pack pass blocker by those grades and a below-average run blocker. If you're looking for a person to attack in the Packers' offensive line, it might be John Runyon. So what does he have to do to meet expectations and get himself a big paycheck next spring? Improve. Hold on to the starting job. The Packers have intimated that right guard may be something that is up for some competition this year. If that is the case, John Runyon needs to hold off that competition as best as he possibly can. I predict that he will end up starting most of the Packers' games this year. I predict that he will improve in his run blocking grade, but will be about the same in his pass blocking grade as he was last year. Similarly to John Runyon, Josh Nyman comes in in a potentially lucrative contract year. His year last year got undermined by injuries after being a spot starter at both tackle spots in 2021 and 2022. He has a lot on the line this year too, and also has a very important role. The presumed starter at right tackle might be the top backup at left tackle, and again, is going to be in line for a pretty significant payday next spring if he can have another solid year this year. I think he's just got to be an improved version of 2022. Healthier, more consistent. If you can just be that, someone is going to pay him a significant, significant amount of money next spring because tackles with his physical dimensions, with his starting ability, do not grow on trees and someone is going to want to try to make him work in their system, even if he's not a perfect starter. You don't always have to settle for protection. You don't always have to to strive for protection on the offensive line. You you should settle for protection to to build off of my own misspeak there. Uh, But you don't always have to have perfect offensive linemen. Chances are if they were perfect, they wouldn't end up in free agency anyway. Maybe Nyman does end up in free agency. If he does, someone is probably going to be willing to try to make it work with a guy who's as a, as big and athletic as he is 
with the starting ability that he has. Prediction-wise, I do think he will lose playing time to Zach Tom at some point. The Packers want Tom on the field, and right tackle seems like the most likely spot for a switch, I would say, right now. Runyon, not out of the woods yet either. So maybe Tom, Runyon, and Nyman are going to try to have a three-person competition for the right side of the Packers' offensive line. Stranger things have happened. I do think Nyman does end up starting at least 10 games for the Packers. I think if he is healthy, the Packers will stick with the incumbent as long as they possibly can. That seems to be their MO under Stenovich, under LaFleur on the offensive line. Unless a guy is really hurt or playing really, really bad, they're not going to make the switch if they don't have to. They like that cohesion if they can get it. So Nyman, if he can stay healthy and continue to perform, he's probably going to hold on to that right tackle gig for a while. We will see, though. Speaking of potentially vulnerable spots, Josh Myers comes into year three, potentially vulnerable, though perhaps not as vulnerable as the Packers themselves made it seem early in the offseason. The Packers were making some noise about a potential position battle, but it never really seems to have come about. Myers has been the uncontested starting center throughout the Packers offseason program, and there's really no reason to think that's going to change, I think, at this point, unless he gets hurt or plays really, really bad in the preseason. The Packers seem to have settled it. For what all that is worth, Myers comes into year three after a bit of an up-and-down career to this point. More or less lost his rookie year, had a tough 2022, not his best year, and tough especially by comparison to Creed Humphrey, who was a popular mock draft target for the Packers two years ago and ended up going one pick after Josh Myers and has been an exceptional player for the Kansas City Chiefs. He ends up in the high expectations tier for pretty obvious reasons. The Packers are leaning on him. They expect a lot out of him. And much like Jake Hansen and Royce Newman, they're leaning on him and expecting a lot out of him, despite a fairly significant amount of evidence to the contrary. But that part is not a Josh Myers problem. The Packers putting him in situations where he has to face their own high expectations because they've believed him in him despite available evidence is not his problem. If I'm doing one thing and you're believing that I'm going to do another thing despite me having done the other thing for a long time, I can't really help you. I can't help you see what I really am. This is not Josh Meyer's problem if the Packers try to keep ratcheting up expectations for him despite him not necessarily meeting those expectations to this point. And on the flip side, I don't think he's necessarily bad. I think he's an adequate enough starting center. He could do better, and the Packers probably could have done better had they just kind of stuck with some of their own tendencies at center. Humphrey is probably a better overall athlete than Myers is, though Myers does have a lot of size, and that seems to be the direction the Packers have gone with some of their offensive line picks lately. I don't know. He just has to be the wire-to-wire starter to meet expectations this year. The Packers were openly talking about competition for his job. Hang on to that job and don't let it go. And I think he does it. Barring injury, I think he is going to start every game at center this year. That doesn't mean, like I said earlier, that Zach Tom won't get reps there, because I think he will just in mop-up situations or just when they need some relief for Josh Myers or for whatever reason. I think they're going to try to get him on the field at, the, at some point, but I think barring an injury, he's going to be the starter until he can't start anymore. Right or wrong, I think the Packers do try to 
stick with the incumbent as long as they possibly can. Speaking of incumbents, there is no longer incumbent on the Packers' offensive line, or I think on the Packers themselves at this point, than David Bakhtiari. As a framing device for where Bakhtiari is, I want to talk about Instagram for a second. On August 26, 2020, the Packers had a, well, scrimmage, I guess, in Lambeau Field. There were no preseason games that year. Uh, the Packers just had to do what they could to get ready, and they had a scrimmage of sorts inside Lambeau Field in full uniform, and David Bakhtiari commemorated the occasion by sending out a picture on Instagram of himself and Aaron Rodgers sitting on top of the wall in one of the end zones of Lambeau Field. And he attached the quote from the office from Andy Bernard, I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you actually left him. Well, that turned out to be a prescient quote, didn't it? Because for a lot of 2020, the Packers were in what felt like the good old days. Things were clicking, the offensive line was humming, the offense was, well, clicking at an MVP level for Aaron Rodgers. It was firing on all cylinders, and the Packers looked like something of a team of destiny. And then, almost exactly four months later, that picture went out August 26th, December 31st, 2020, what happened to David Bakhtiari? Tore his ACL in practice, and that really has been the story of David Bakhtiari's career since then. The aftermath of that, Aaron Rodgers, of course, his story began shortly after Bakhtiari tore his ACL, and now here we are. Bakhtiari is here, a multiple times surgically repaired knee. Aaron Rodgers is no longer here. As far as Bakhtiari is concerned, as far as Aaron Rodgers is concerned, They probably have left the good old days, but he ends up in the high expectations tier because he is still very good. Turning back to pro football focus data, among guys with 500 or more pass blocking snaps, Bakhtiari was the sixth best offensive tackle in the league last year. For that matter, though, he was the 28th best run blocking tackle, but he's never really been an elite run blocker either. So can't really hold that, you know, against him all that much. And that's really where he has to be to meet expectations. Despite the the knee surgeries, despite this, that, and the other thing, as far as Dave Bakhtiari goes, he's still getting paid by like a top-tier tackle in the NFL, so he needs to perform like that. He needs to, to be at that level if he is going to meet expectations this year. I see no reason he can't. I think he is going to miss some games this year, so I put the prediction on his playing time at between 12 and 14 games for 2023. I still think he ends up as a top 10 pass blocker in the NFL by pro football focus grade this year. Finally, Elton Jenkins. Pretty easy to talk about where he is and what we expect from him. He is the Packers' best offensive lineman, in my opinion, right now. Overall, I think he's a more indispensable piece than David Bakhtiari at this point in his career. He just has to be pre-injury Elton Jenkins. And I know that's an easy thing to say and a hard thing to do. But if he's going to meet expectations, that's where he needs to be this year. He needs to be at that pre-injury level, which should be easier for him to achieve this year than last year. Last year is coming off the ACL injury. Last year, the Packers didn't really seem like they knew where they wanted him to be. I guess they wanted him to be at tackle. He eventually ends up back at that left guard. And that's where he'll start out this year. 
he has the path in front of him that he needs to return to form. And especially being a year and a half removed now from that ACL injury, I think he is on track to get there. Prediction-wise, I think he starts every game. I will also say that he starts at least one game at a non-left guard position because that's just, that's almost a for fun prediction. He has done some crazy and unexpected things over his still fairly brief career in Green Bay. Now he's getting paid like an elite offensive lineman. I think he'll still get to try to be an elite offensive lineman at positions other than left guard. We'll see. There's another version of a player similar to him on the roster this year in Zach Tom. Maybe they don't need Elton Jenkins to do that anymore. Still, I think he's their number one of their best five for a reason. And if they really need something done, Elton Jenkins is probably going to be the guy to do it for him. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.